One councillor was assaulted on her doorstep by a woman who accused her of destroying the northeast economy single-handedly, while another councillor suffered mental health problems as a result of what happened. That was Adil Haslam, and we'll hear more from them later in the show. Hello, and welcome to This Dushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson Media that helps you be better briefed. I'm Paul Malik, and on this episode, I'll be joined by Rachel Emery, Derek Healy, and Dale to examine and explain the last week in Scottish politics. But first, a summary of the week's biggest national and international politics stories, compiled and read by Alex Watson. Retail chiefs are calling on the Scottish Government to use next week's budget to help the struggling sector, after new figures showed the number of shoppers visiting stores was down by almost a fifth. Footfall was 19.8% lower in November than it had been during the same month in 2019, with Scotland the worst hit of all the four nations of the UK. Shopping centres were even worse off, with footfall down by 28% over the same period, the Scottish Retail Consortium said. Shell has announced it is pulling out of the controversial Cambo oilfield project. The company, which has 30% equity in the development off the west coast of Shetland, said it has concluded the economic case for investment was not strong enough. The decision was welcomed by environmental groups, including Greenpeace, which said it should mark the death blow for Cambo. Liam Kerr, Scottish Conservative Shadow Cabinet Secretary for Net Zero Energy and Transport, said, It's obviously disappointing Shell have pulled out from Cambo, but it is a business decision for them to make. He continued, Recently Nicola Sturgeon's language about oil and gas has been more harmful than helpful. This will no doubt make it harder for energy companies to invest in oil and gas and the skills and technology needed to reach carbon net zero. Formula One team Mercedes has been branded deeply disrespectful after signing a partnership deal with a firm behind some of the insulation installed in Grenfell Tower. Shadow Leveling Up Secretary Lisa Nandy said she hopes Lewis Hamilton, who drives for the team, is making his views clearly known to those who made the decision about the deal with Kingspan. Kingspan's K15 insulation was one of the products installed on Grenfell Tower during its refurbishment although the majority of the insulation used on the West London Tower block was made by another company. An inquiry is examining how Grenfell Tower came to be coated in flammable materials, which contributed to devastating fires in June 2017, killing 72 people. A spokesman for the Mercedes team said, Our partner Kingspan has supported and continues to support the vitally important work of the inquiry to determine what went wrong and why in the Grenfell Tower tragedy. Kingspan said in a statement, that the company supports the Grenfell inquiry and claims it played no role in the design of the cladding system. Thank you, Alex. Right, let's crack on with this week's show. We have had the end of the SNP conference. Uh, We have had the announcement from First Minister Nicola Sturgeon that the Scottish child payment is to be doubled. And this week also marks 15 years from the beginning of the Trump at many saga, uh, which is where we'll be talking to our special guest, Dale Haslam, later on in the show. But first, Derek, uh, the Yes Hubs have come up in the news again this week. You have been following this story closely, which has involved a top uh, SNP economist and the pleading of uh, COVID grant money for support of independent centres, uh, which you can see in towns and cities across Scotland. Can you explain a bit about this and why it's in the news again? Yeah, so this all stretches back um, to April when we revealed that activists from two Yes Hubs and Angus had been coached to apply for COVID support grants, um, and in their words, for the indie cause. 
Um, then we confirmed in September that the Brecon Blethren and Forford Blethren, which are sort of two community hubs that operate independently of the SNP or any other political party, had successfully claimed £10,000 each in money set up really for struggling businesses. Um, they, they talked at length before, you know, when they were being kind of taught how to do this, um, about how this was Westminster cash being used to get rid of Westminster. As I say, that this was for the indie cause. Um, and, and, and really j just lots of talk in that kind of direction. Um, the guy who had coached them on how to apply and even where they could find the forms, you know, troubleshooting any problems they have, is a guy called Tim Rideout. Um, as you mentioned, he might be familiar to, to some of our listeners because he's an SNP officer. He's been very involved in shaping SNP uh, policy at conference on what kind of currency an independent Scotland would use. And he asked those activists, if they were successful, to consider making a donation to his campaign group. Um, he, he stated no such donation was ever kind of made to him, but this obviously raises questions about how appropriate that was. There was a fresh focus on those stories this week after Inverclyde Council uh, launched a fraud investigation into a similar Yes Hub called Yes Inverclyde. That group also claimed £10,000 and like our friends in Angus, they told the council, you know, we're not political, we're not party political in any kind of way. Um, however, they were spotted posting on social media about how they were storing and distributing you know, thousands and thousands of, of so-called Yes Papers from their store. Um, which promote the SNP, uh, a number of leading figures, including Nicola Sturgeon. Um, the papers were put out by the National Newspaper, by the SNP, and by a group called Believe in Scotland. Um, government rules say COVID support cash can't be used in any way that could be seen at all to be in kind of support of a, of a particular political party. Um, and it would also go against, you know, them saying that we're not we're not party political. If, if, if you're handing out leaflets from your shop that has a big badge saying vote SNP, you know, it does, it does raise some questions. Um, so a little bit of digging from ourselves revealed that these two groups in Angus have also been storing and distributing these leaflets, uh, these papers from their hubs. Um, I think there's 4,000 in the one in Forfar, for example. Um, and I should say, you know, uh, this isn't just about um, individual parties. I mean, there's uh, if, you, if you look down south, there's a, I think the Mirror reported that there's a loophole that allowed conservative associations to apply for this cash as well. Um, but the question more locally is the fact that, you know, these guys were discussing openly about how they're not paying rates and about how this was money for the indie cause. Um, the guy, Tim Ryder, actually spoke about raising... £50,000 in a single day through this scheme. Um, now, there's been calls this week for a fraud investigation to be launched, similar to the one that was launched in Verclyde and Angus. Um, we put questions to the council about whether they have launched an investigation, whether they're going to, if not, why not? Uh, and we were really met with a kind of wall of silence is how we put it in our, in our story. Um, they really refused to answer many questions about it at all. Um, they did tell us that um, you know any any concerns that are brought up they would they would look into, but doesn't really tell us very much about you know what are they actually doing on this, um, and I think that there's still a lot of anger on this. There's still a lot of heat around this topic because um, I don't think there's been a proper resolution to it really yet. Uh, does this does this really sort of open the the story again as to the the differences or non differences that exist between say the Yes campaign and the SNP because they're supposed to be two different entities, aren't they? 
Yeah, so I mean, I think that's important to point out again. I mean, these these hubs are supposed to be entirely separate from the SNP. Um, we ran previously a story about two SNP branches, which had received the same, you know, two two branches received ten thousand pounds each from this, these COVID support grants. Um, it came to light that it was inappropriate for them to have received that, and they agreed to pay that money back. Um, these are community gr- groups. Um, they run a kind of store where they, I mean, I think they're selling big crisps and canned juice and stuff, but really they're distributing um, literature, which is to to help make the cause for independence, really. Um, they say that they are happy to discuss any political, you know, any political discussion they're happy to have. It doesn't just need to be about independence. Um, they say they are entirely appropriate to receive this cash because they've missed out on money um, during the pandemic, so they say it's entirely fair. If you're right, I mean, there is this, this question about how linked they are to the SNP. I mean, in official capacity, they're totally separate. But this handing out of these leaflets does really raise that question. I mean, why are you, if you're not party political, if it's all just about a, you know, a philosophical position or whatever, um, then why are you handing out leaflets with a big you know, SNP sticker on it and containing you know information from party leaders and things. I mean, it's, it, it does raise those questions. You're absolutely right. I suppose the another way of looking at it as well is, as I know down south, you, you certainly get them up here as well, you get working men's clubs that are affiliated with the Labour Party, Conservative and Tory clubs that are obviously um, affiliated with the Conservative and Unionist Party. Um, even, dare I say, you do used to get used to get Liberal clubs back when mm-hmm. Liberal Democrats had supporters that would go out and uh, publicly announce themselves. Is the idea of these yes branches meant to be the sort of SNP's version of that? Well, sort of. I mean, I think they're even they're even you know less affiliated than that. And I mean, I think it's worth saying again that these 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 activists involved have made the have made the point that um, some of those other sort of institutions or organisations you have mentioned uh, have also claimed some of this cash. So I don't think there's any problem with a group that's apolitical uh, or not party political claiming this cash. I mean, the rules absolutely allow for that. Mm-hmm. I think the difference in this situation is that you've got you know, these organisations talking openly about how this money was being used, quotes for the indie cause, and then handing out these leaflets. And I think it's these leaflets which have really taken it over the edge in terms of, you know, ramping up those calls for, for, for a further look into this. And I mean, it might be again that the, you know, that the council looks into this and says there's no question to answer. I mean, the situation in Inverclyde is that this group, this Inverclyde Yes group, have paid back that money. They agreed to pay back the money. But Inverclyde council said, you know, there's no further... You know, they've not identified anything in terms of fraud. Mm-hmm. So it might be that there's an investigation and these guys are totally cleared and it's just, you know, it's entirely appropriate for them to have the money. Um, but they're, they're, the question is there and the question is being asked. Um, and as I say, I, th- I think the, the, the situation around this is such that those questions probably aren't going to go away um, until there is a more definitive answer on this. And I think that's why there's been that pressure on Angus Council to really do their part. Because if these guys have done nothing wrong, um, you know, for their sake, it would be really useful if Angus Council could come out and say that and say that we've looked at these payments and they're, they're entirely fair. Angus Council, eh? Uh, you often worry, you often, you often wonder, Derek, if it's worth recalling the Stuchy, the, uh, the Angus, the Angus Council podcast. <laughs> they provide us with more news stories than any other council, certainly in the Curie area. Of course, Derek, I'm sure you meant Breakin rather than Bretchen earlier, um, but it's been a long week, so we'll we'll forgive you that one. Oh, I'm sorry. My, my dad's family is from a place in Wales called Brecon. So every single time I have to do a bit of mental gymnastics to go, wait a minute, which one is it? You're absolutely right. I mean, Brecon. Goodness me. I apologise to our listeners in Brecon. Derek will continue to apologise by just doing some top rate investigative work into this council <laughs> to make sure that the people of Brecon, Arbroath, Kinnemere, 
and elsewhere are uh, fully represented and uh, kept in the loop as to what's going on. Rachel, we had the SNP conference, the second one in 12 weeks uh, over the weekend. Um, and I'd say probably the biggest announcement, the, the announcement that's cut through the most anyway, it hasn't been any sort of movement on independence or even the uh, before mentioned motion on a Scottish currency. Back on track. Sorry, Rachel, the top news story that we've had from the SNP conference this week, I'd say, would be the announcement of the doubling of the Scottish child payment. This, of course, comes in the wake of the withdrawal of the £20 uplift by the Conservative UK government um, on universal credit. Uh, and this is part of the SNP's plans to uh, eradicate child poverty. Rachel, talk us through uh, the ins and outs of that and, and just what this could mean for um, Scottish social security policy. Yeah, we've been talking a lot recently about how the Scottish government would want to eradicate child poverty and also as well, the opposition parties in Holyrood also going on about how not enough is being done and not enough to be done quick enough. Um, and we know, it, you just have to read any of our papers just to see how prevalent child poverty is, particularly now that we're um, into the winter months and we're obviously having uh, more money being spent on fuel and heating as well. So basically this child payment was introduced last year and it gives families who are classed as low income and have a child under the age of six £10 a week per child. Um, now this is actually going to be extended next year, so it'll actually go up to the age of 16 next year. So that'll actually include 400,000 children. So it's, it's quite a lot of children this is going to benefit. But like you said, this also comes in the wake of the £20 uplift universal credit being taken away um, a couple of months ago from the UK government. And we heard at the time then from people who were on this benefit saying just how much that is going to mean. So it might only sound like it's an extra £10 a week, but we know from these previous stories that it really will go quite a long way for some families. Um, so this has been doubled. It's going to be £20 a week now from April next year, rather than £10 a week. Um, obviously, um, a lot of um, campaigners and charities have said this is a really good thing that's going to happen. It's going to benefit people in poverty and also saying it's a good example of people campaigning to get something that they want pushed through government actually happening. So um, they're quite happy. Of course, there's some opposition parties that have something to say. Labour has said it should be up to £40 a week. Um, I'm not entirely sure where the money in the budget is for that much for that much more money. Um, the Conservatives say the government isn't using all the devolved powers available to them to tackle child poverty. But nonetheless, this payment's going up next year in April. About 105,000 youngsters that's going to affect. So it's, it's, it's um, no small thing. Um, but this is quite interesting because only a day later, John Swinney made some interesting comments on child poverty. So he was giving evidence um, from the Christie Commission um, at a Holyrood committee. So this is a, a report that was done 10 years ago, which looks to reform how public services are run in Scotland. And he was saying, well, look how quickly things changed in the public sector when the pandemics first hit back in March 2020. And we all saw how quickly coronavirus wards were thrown up in hospitals and how quickly homeschooling had to be implemented. I mean, everything had to change almost overnight because of this. And John Swinney was saying, well, look how things how quickly things can change when we really need them to change. And so why can't that same amount of pace and quickness be done to things like child poverty? And he was saying that he'd wished that amount of change and that pace had been seen elsewhere in other areas of um, governance. Um, so I, that certainly could be seen as a, a criticism of how slow things in the public sector have been when it comes to child poverty. So perhaps this, um, this is also only implemented last year, this Scottish child payment. So for it to be 
only two years later that it's doubled. Maybe is is that seen as quicker or is it still, you know, two years is still a long time. So um, that's quite an interesting point that he made. Um, when he made that point, Daniel Johnson, he's from Scottish Labour, he described John Swinney as a man who seems to be frustrated with the pace of change. And he also asked if John Swinney would give his former self any advice. And his response was to say, never underestimate the institutional barriers to progress. So definitely expressing some frustration at just how slow things have been when it comes to child poverty. Um, and we know it's such a big issue in Scotland as well. Uh, some 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 good points that have been raised there, Rachel, but it's not as if John Swinney hasn't been near the uh, the levers of power over the last 14 years. Uh, while the SNP has been in government, he is, of course, Deputy First Minister. He has been in charge of the fiscal purse strings and he is head of education, which means that he gets a, a almost unique insight into how some of the conditions are for children in this country um, and have been under the 14 years of the last SNP government. Um, he mentions the institutional barriers as well. Derek, the, the Scottish uh, Social Security Service has taken some time to set up, hasn't it? It's one of the major criticisms that, you know, once these powers were devolved following the, the 2014 referendum, just how long it's taken for the Scottish government to get this this in place. I mean, it's, it's good news that it is in place, and it's good news that this money will be going to, we hope, where it is mostly needed. But it's taken a frustratingly long time to get there, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was really interesting and telling comment from John Swinney, actually. Um, you know, there's been this long-standing battle between Scottish government and Westminster government, you know, between saying that, well, the Scottish government pointing out these sort of cuts to welfare, describing them as kind of callous cuts and affecting, you know, the, the most hard-pressed families and so on, um, and really kind of using that as a, um, as a sort of driving force for this argument for independence. We, we've seen, as you say, this, this, this slow move of welfare power is supposed to be coming over to Hollywood, but it has been so delayed. I mean, part of that's obviously been because of COVID. Um, but I, I wonder if that's what he's pointing to really there when he talks about those levers moving quite slowly. Um, that you know that transfer of powers being delayed again and again and again. And you do wonder from his point of view, having been in politics for a long time, um, having you know a, a kind of role where in the past where you know he'll be as you say, we seeing this directly the effect of this. Um, whether that must be quite frustrating for him really to see those those changes being delayed, um, given that's obviously the reasons in politics, is to see that, that those kind of powers handed over to the, the Scottish Parliament. And Rachel, you, you mentioned that Labour have started calling it for it to go up to £40 uh, a week, um, doubled again effectively, um, and that the First Minister herself during her speech said that the money would need to be found elsewhere in the Scottish budget. We'll hear next week from Kate Forbes, the, the Finance Secretary, um, just how the spending is going to be applied next year. But... Uh, do you think this is one of those ones where Labour have been maybe too, too successful in their campaigning and they're going to get something that they've been campaigning for sort of some time implemented without any of the credit? Yes, this was uh, Jackie Bailey who called for it to be put up to £40 rather than to £20. But if you see the statement Nicola Sturgeon put out when she announced this child payment doubling, she was very much saying that like, this was difficult to find. It wasn't easy to find this money and this will now have to be taken away from something else. She was quite explicit about that. So yeah, this money didn't just come out of thin air. They said that very difficult decisions had to be made to find this money in the budget. So yeah, to consider it then being put up even more to £40 seems like it probably was would be impossible, to be honest. And 
it is worth pointing out as well that we do have the ability to to raise some income taxes in Scotland, not all of them, of course, but there's a, a very complicated system in place. Um, I'm sure we will be talking more about this next week because, of course, on Thursday it will be the budget uh, and we will delve into that with the same fine-tooth comb that we delve into absolutely everything else. Now, speaking of delving, this week we are joined by the investigations reporter from the Press and Journal's Impact Team, Dale Haslam, uh, who has written a tome, I would say, on the 15 years of Donald Trump and the many saga. Donald Trump, I don't know if you remember him, dear listeners, he uh, was a businessman from America who decided that he liked some strips of land in Scotland. Oh, and he also became uh, Prime prime Minister. He also became President of the United States. In the meantime, um, he was obviously just a man looking for something to do. Dale, you have gone into this in some detail uh, talk us through why, well, obviously 15 years is a, a marking point, but tell us uh, what the uh, what, what, what truth you've uncovered in your investigation in uh, Trumpet Many, The Untold Story. Well, first of all, thank you for having me today. It's an honour to be on the podcast. I'm a long-time listener, so uh, I've listened so it's good to be uh, it's good to be here. Pleasure to have you on. We decided to take this project on because it remains one of the most explosive news stories in the recent history of the Northeast, and even 15 years on, many people remember how it unfolded and how, uh, to some extent, it became ugly as it grabbed news headlines around the world. Um, in the impact team, we felt it would be a great opportunity to re- revisit 15 years on from when the planning application was tabled, which is this week, and give everyone who played a central role in the decision-making process at Aberdeenshire Council the opportunity to speak openly about their experience with the benefit of the passage of time. Now, of course, all good stories, national and international stories, start their life as local stories. I must admit, I'm not a Northeast boy, and when this is all kicking off, I don't think I was paying particular attention so can you give us a bit of a refresher as to what the controversy was yeah so in 2005 uh, a developer uh, by the name of neil hobday uh, somewhat of an expert himself in developing um, scottish golf courses and sort of bringing them up to sort of open standard he uh, had this idea of uh, developing um, the many estate to be a, a golf resort and he uh, approached Donald Trump with a view to, to building this and uh, pitched to him the, the idea of it becoming the world's best golf resort uh, at many in Aberdeenshire. And the idea was that this project would consist of two world-class golf courses capable of hosting the prestigious Open Championship along with 500 homes. Um, business-minded people in the Northeast were massively in favour of the project uh, but there was one problem, and that was that part of the site would be on sand dunes that are part of a site of special scientific interest. And environmentalists were unsurprisingly concerned that it would impact on wildlife there. Um, so those uh, who experienced this row firsthand recall how people were either fervently in favour or fervently against, and the two sides put tremendous pressure on the 14 councillors who would have the final decision in uh in in november 2007 and, and it got quite serious for the councillors, didn't it you know they, there was quite a lot of threats to their safety or even even personal attacks was there uh, yes one councillor was assaulted on her doorstep by a woman who accused her of destroying the northeast economy single-handedly 
while another councillor suffered mental health problems as a result of what happened. Police got involved at one stage and warned one councillor and his wife to stay indoors for a full weekend because they were concerned about his safety and, and his wife's safety. Another councillor's wife lost her job because of the row and our series includes stories of outraged politicians storming out of public events due to seeing posters of themselves being ridiculed. Some politicians accused others of being cowards and, and say they lost friendships due to emotional wounds that even to this day haven't healed. Um, some of the councillors involved at the time had only been elected a couple of months earlier and they described it as a baptism of fire. But even the most experienced of councillors who had been in the role for 40 years described this as their toughest experience. Uh, and I think it's fair to say as well, if we're being completely open, that the, the, the Evening Express, newspaper in Aberdeen and, and the Press and Journal were heavily involved in the decision. Um, Evening Express, of course, published several articles in 2007, it should be noted, that uh, showed support for the golf resort and criticised uh, the seven councillors who had voted against it. Are we being open about uh, our role in the in all this this saga? Yeah, I, I think we tackle it head on. I think anyone who's ever worked with me in my 20 years as a journalist will, I hope, tell you that uh, for me it's really important to be principled and to tell the whole story, however uncomfortable it may be. When I first spoke to Martin Ford, who was the um, the chair of the uh, the committee which made the the main decision in this saga, um, when I first spoke to him about the project a few months ago, he asked me, "Will you explore the Evening Express's role in this?" And I, I gave him my word that we would. A lot of time has passed since that coverage, and my colleagues who were involved at the time will tell you that their support um, of the golf resort reflects the fact that a survey had shown. 97% of Evening Express readers were in favour of, of the golf resort. However, it's clear to see that the tone that was taken offended some people. And we haven't shied away from tackling that issue head on in the series, as every good publication should. And I suppose we can't really talk about Trump and Aberdeenshire without talking about the the other figurehead from the North East, Alex Salmond. He was involved, wasn't it? You've, you've spoken to him as part of the series. What did, what did he have to say for himself? Well, in the interview uh, that I had with um, Alex Salmond, he struck me as very honest on this issue. For example, he defended the conduct of the man he replaced as First Minister, Jack McConnell, even though it would have been easy for Salmond to criticise who, let's face it, was a political rival at the time. Uh, and Salmond also spoke quite honestly, about how we viewed the day Aberdeenshire Council went into meltdown, the, the day after this this key decision uh, to to refuse the golf resort initially, albeit it was overturned, as we remember, with a, a Scottish government calling. Uh, on Trump, um, Salmon paints a picture of how the two men went from being on speaking terms to completely at odds with each other. And Salmon uh, tell, tells me an interesting story about why he and Trump fell out and, and an audacious demand that Trump made to Salmond, which I'll, I'll leave for our audience to read in tomorrow's final part of the five-part series. Uh, Salmond also spoke about his own role in the Gulf Resort decision, how he was made the subject of a Hollywood um, investigation, which subsequently cleared him of any wrongdoing. And there were some interesting points made by Trump's right-hand man from the time, George Sorio. In terms of in terms of your recollections of of this story, obviously you've been you're covering it for some time. You've you've delved into it. What was, what was the one thing that stands out for you of this story? Is it how how wrong everything went? How right everything has turned out? Has 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 anyone been vindicated, or is it all just a sorry mess? I think looking into this project um, in depth made me aware of just how poisonous the political climate was at the time. 
and perhaps the need for people to treat each other with kindness and respect, even if they take a polar opposite approach to a particular issue. Uh, as for the golf resort, it hasn't really delivered what was promised, but there are plans in the pipeline for homes to be built on the site and a second golf course there. Uh, and in tomorrow's part, we hear from Trump's team about his unwavering support for the golf resort and for the region. Uh, it was an enjoyable and educational process researching this topic, and I really hope our audience uh, are enjoying reading it on their Press and Journal website. And, and forgive me, has Donald Trump visited his golf site since since this all kicked off? I don't think he has. Um, he tells us that uh, the reason why is that uh, he doesn't need to because he has, uh, uh, as he said, unwavering support for the region and in his team. And his right-hand man from the time, George Soriel, has told us about how they believe that they've got a great team on site. Uh, we can't escape the fact that the uh, company accounts show that the uh, site is losing around £800,000 every year. So... Our readers can uh, draw into that what they believe to be the success or otherwise of the site, but um, Trump hasn't been seen there in recent years, it's fair to say. Well, President Trump, if you are in the area, please feel free to stop by our office and you can even come on the stitchy, um, you know, if you, if you feel that way inclined. Uh, but that's it for this week. Thank you to Rachel, Derek, and of course Dale, uh, producer Morvin, and you for listening. We'll be back next week with more, but until then and even after pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed. Cheerio! The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson Media, bringing together political journalists and commentators from all over the country so that you can be better briefed. Teams at The Courier, The Press and Journal, The Evening Telegraph, Evening Express and The Sunday Post work hard day and night online, in print and beyond, to bring you careful reporting and analysis designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, in Westminster, and in our communities. So you don't miss an episode, follow The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know folk like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune into The Stushy or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. You can get a free month of unlimited access to The Courier or The Press and Journal too. Just go to thecourier.co.uk slash subscribe or pressandjournal.co.uk slash subscribe or follow the links in the episode notes to be better briefed. Check the episode notes for details and terms.